If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're continuing on this summer in a series um, entitled Above All, Christ Above All, Above All Christ. And um, it's an incredible book. And the Apostle Paul has a lot to say to a church that he has never even visited. What's interesting is when the Apostle Paul wrote this, he was writing from prison and um, he was writing to a church that he had yet to visit. He was sending a guy, Epaphras, um, if you were here at the beginning of it, the series, and he sent this guy with this letter to this church. And he wanted to instruct them on what it was to be a godly church. Not just godly individuals, but a godly church. And so as you're looking at the book of Colossians, look and understand that the Apostle Paul is writing and giving a theology or giving a, a foundation of Jesus Christ and the importance and supremacy of Christ. And um, we're going to continue on in this series in Colossians and um, Colossians chapter 1 today, verses 18 through 20. We're taking it in bite-sized pieces so that we don't miss the weight of what God wants to say to us here this morning and what he wants to say to us as a church. So let's read Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. It's up on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read it from the New Living because there's some things that I want us to grasp. This is up here is the ESV. So um, that's 1 Corinthians. So that's great. That's great. We're going to read from Colossians. So, All right, so let's read that. Praise God, right? Huh? We are going to get to 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21 in a little bit, though. All right, Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. It says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Let's back that up. And let's start in verse 15 so you can understand the Apostle Paul talking about Christ is supreme. Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. This is verse 15 of Colossians 1. He is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as the thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Verse 17, he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Verse 18 now, where we're going to be our text that we're going to look at this morning. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Let's pray. Impressive Father. We love you, and we thank you, Lord God, for who you are, and we thank you for what you've done. And we ask, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you would illuminate your word to us. And Lord God, that everything that you are saying, Father, this morning, through your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would use it to change us, 
to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just thank you, Father, for what you've done and what you're going to do. Lord, in and through our lives and what you're going to do here in Gloucester with your church, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for the men and women here. I pray, Lord God, you would encourage them, that you would be near to them. You would demonstrate your love and power to them today. And as always, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul talking about Christ. Have you ever heard the expression in Christ? In the Bible, in the New Testament, it appears over 164 times. What's the expression in Christ? The idea is, if you go to 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The expression and term in Christ is this idea that Christ is in me and I am in Christ, that we are joined together. When you're in the church of Jesus Christ, in the local church, you are in Christ and Christ is in you because Christ is in his church. It's this concept and this idea that the Apostle Paul was doing that I think sometimes we miss out. That expression in Christ is so important for us to understand because I like Ben and Jerry's ice cream. How many of you guys like Ben and Jerry's? How many of you guys like ice cream? It's like my favorite. Like cookies, ah, that's okay. Cake, that's okay. Candy, that's okay. Like my wife is a candy freak. She loves candy. She has a little candy stash that the kids don't know about. And sometimes it's just her and I and we're, we're eating, we're eating um, you know, the kids are to bed and we're drinking tea together and we're just kind of sitting in the living room and my wife pulls out candy. I'm like, where did this come from? She says, I have a candy stash. But anyway, so we're there. But, uh, and I'm like, that doesn't really interest me. But ice cream interests me. I love ice cream. Ice cream is the most wonderful gift that God has given to his creation. That's how much I love ice cream. I like Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And the idea of Ben and Jerry's ice cream is that, you know, they want to use the freshest, the purest of all of God's creation to make this ice cream. And you eat their ice cream. But Ben and Jerry, and you know what? I can tell you all about Ben and Jerry's ice cream right now. I can talk to you about Ben and Jerry's ice cream because I love Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Chunky Monkey, favorite. Okay, because it's got that banana flavor, banana ice cream, and then it has, oh, it's so good. And, and it's got the little chocolate chunks, and then it's got the nuts. Oh, it's good. My wife doesn't like nuts in her ice cream. But anyway, I digress. Okay, so you, I, I, ice cream is just an amazing thing, but, but ice cream, Ben and Jerry didn't make ice cream for us to know about it. We can talk about it, we can discuss it, and we can interact with it. But Ben and Jerry make ice cream for one reason and one reason only, for you to take your spoon and to pull it out and to eat it and put it inside your life, in your belly, if you know what I'm talking about. That's why Ben and Jerry made ice cream. God didn't send his son Jesus Christ to this earth so we could know about him and know facts about him and know thoughts about him. No, God sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth so that we could, Christ could come into our lives to have every aspect of our life and for us to be in him and him to be in us. 
When we take the Lord's Supper, think about it. What we're doing together is we're basically saying Christ is in us. It's that reminder that Christ is in us and that we are in Christ. And so when the Apostle Paul is writing on the supremacy of Christ, it's this concept and this idea that, that he is communicating that he is in, that we are in Christ in the church. And he's saying this, and look at verse 18, he says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. So think about this in, in introduction. I wrote this illustration down in the introduction. To be in Christ is to be a drop, a water drop in a glass. To be in the church of Jesus Christ is to be many drops of water in a glass used by God to be poured out for a thirsty world. What can one drop do? Not much, but when you put a whole bunch of drops together, it becomes something powerful that shapes and forms and over time shapes rocks and shapes things. See, the idea is the Apostle Paul is talking about Christ and Christ's relationship to the church. And it's important for us to understand this because if you're taking notes, for us to understand Christ as an individual is one thing, but to understand Christ as a collective church is something else. If you're taking notes, number one, write this down. The church is the body of Jesus Christ held together by Christ. See, the church is the body of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church, which is his body. So the idea and the concept is the body of Christ is us, the church. Now, a lot of people want to discuss the idea of the universal church and the local church, and I'm going to just say this. If you went to Jordan with me, you heard this message twice um, about, as we talked about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the relationship in Ephesians chapter 5. But it's this idea, people say, well, I'm a part of the universal church. I don't have to go to local church. I don't have to be a part, I don't have to go to a church to be a part of Christ or to be in Christ. But the reality is this, if Christ is, if the body of Christ is his church, then you have to be a part of the local expression. Think about it this way. Your hand is a local expression. Your finger is a local expression of your hand. For, me not to, for my thumb not to be attached to my hand is for my thumb not to be attached to the body. Does that make sense? You see how that, that plays out? And so when someone says, hey, I'm a part of the church, but I don't go to church, or I don't go to a local expression of the church, that's like the thumb saying, hey, I'm not a part of the hand, but I'm a part of the body. Well, how can the thumb be a part of the body if it's not attached to the hand? So how can a Christian be a part of the body of Christ and not be a part of a local expression of the body of Christ? You can't. One of the reasons why you're here and why we come every Sunday is for us to come together as a local expression, being part of the body of Christ. Whether we're the thumb or whether we're some other finger, we're a part of the body of Jesus Christ. And Christ is the head. Now, not just the supremacy, not just in charge of the church, but he is also, the, he's the body and the head. He is all things. So why is the church, 
Why is Christ holding together the church and why is the body of Jesus Christ the church? Well, the first one is the first thing that I want you to see is that God has arranged the body of Christ, the church, in the way that he wants to. Now, is, the, is every church you've ever been a part of the most healthy, functional church? Absolutely not. I've worked in the church for 25 years and the church is dysfunctional. You know why? Because they're sinful people, right? It's made up of sinful people. And guess what? Sin pe- sinful people do what? They sin. And so therefore, it makes something that's functional, dysfunctional. It's like someone saying, hey, you know what? I come from a dysfunctional family. I'm like, line up. Every family's dysfunctional. Every family's dysfunctional. Why? Because families are made up of sinful people. My family is dysfunctional. It's a, it's a, it's a functional dysfunctional. And the reality is someone says, well, man, if I was just part of a functional family, I do a lot of counseling. And so sometimes when I'm talking with people, they go, well, my family's dysfunctional. And my response is, hey, you know what? My family's dysfunctional. I'm messing up my kids right now. I don't even know it sometimes. I'm praying for them and their counselors. No, it's that idea that every family's dysfunctional. And if you said, well, if I was just part of a functional family, my life would be different. And the reality is, yes, there are principles that make something more functional, but because of sin, everything's dysfunctional. And if you said, well, if I was a part of a functional family, well, then you would make the family dysfunctional because you're sinful. I'm sinful. And so that idea is that God has arranged the body of Christ. God has arranged the church for us to come together. And guess what? It's messy and it's difficult, but we're all a part of the body of Christ. And Christ is the head of this dysfunctional body. Now, he is working to make it functional. He is working to make us more like Jesus Christ. He is working and changing us to be like Jesus Christ. But the reality is it's a dysfunctional thing. 1 Corinthians chapter, and and so what you're saying, well, how in the world can God use the church? Turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see this now. Here's 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21, it says, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. See, God is in the business of using dysfunctional things like the cross to make it functional. God is in the business of using broken and messed up things. So you might be here today and say, man, I can't can't get involved in the church. I can't be a part of the church. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I'm here to tell you that God would have you rather messed up than not have you at all. He'd rather have you broken than not have you at all. And he wants you to be a part of this church. Why? Because the church is a place for us to come together, to lay out all of our junk, look at each other and go, wow, we're really messed up. But Christ is the one who saves us, redeems us, changes us, gives us purpose and hope. And so, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the wisdom, is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So you look and say, how in the world can God use the church? God's gonna use the church because it's Christ's. It's his church. 
We are Christ's church. He's the head of the church. And not only is he the head of the church, he's also arranged it. Look at verses 12, 18 through 21. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 21. It says, but, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Did you know that God, when he saves you, not only does he save you, but he places you exactly where he wants you to be. And he's given you the gifts that he's given you to be able to be used for the body of Jesus Christ. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. The Apostle Paul is communicating, and look at verse, and I'm going to read on in verse 22. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. You look and say, why in the world, God, did you put this dysfunctional person in on the hand, why in the world is the pinky there? Doesn't, doesn't do anything. And the reality is that God is the one that put the pinky there. God is the one that put us there. And, and it's just to make us more like Jesus Christ. It's to change us. That God puts people in our life to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. God has arranged the body of Christ, the church, because Christ, the church, is the body of Jesus Christ held together by Christ. Why else? God has provided the relationship between Christ and the church. See, there would be no relationship of the church amongst ourselves if it wasn't for Christ and God arranging it and God providing the relationship between Christ and his church. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 through 32, it says that Christ is one flesh with his church. It's the idea and the concept that Jesus Christ has joined himself. Not only is he the body, but he is also the bridegroom. And he has joined himself to the church to be one flesh. Christ is one flesh with his church. This is, this is important to understand because if you look at letter B, it says we are members of his body. We are members of his body, the local church. Now, I shared with you the idea and the concept of the local church, the concept of us being arranged by God, for God. But let me go back to the concept of, of Ephesians. Go back to the passage in Ephesians chapter 5. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that in, re, in and it, that it refers to Christ and the church. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that Christ is one flesh with his church. So to say, I love Jesus Christ, but I hate the church, is by saying, I hate Christ. It's like you saying, hey, I really like you, Pastor Andrew, but I hate your wife, Holly. We couldn't be friends, just, just letting you know, because I love my wife, 
And as dysfunctional as, she's not that dysfunctional, but as dysfunctional as she is, you're not dysfunctional at all. I'm the dysfunctional one, but she, as dysfunctional as she is, and as dysfunctional as I get, you know, as dysfunctional as she is, I love her. I see her weaknesses. She sees mine. She's more of the Holy Spirit in my life, and then I have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, and they, they kind of let me know. Praise God, right? But it's that idea that, no, no, that Christ is one flesh with his church. As dysfunctional as his church is, he is one flesh with it. You can't separate Christ from his church. It is the body of Christ. He is one flesh with the church. And so when the Apostle Paul in Colossians is saying, verse 18, that Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body, he is the beginning. In the ESV, it says he is the firstborn, supreme over all who have risen from the dead. What you're seeing is that Christ is the church is the body of Jesus Christ held together by Christ, which Christ is over. The leader of our church, it's not Pastor Sean, it's not the elders, it's Jesus Christ. And it's the authority of the word of God. Why? Because Christ is the one. John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. You have the idea of Christ is the head and he communicates how he wants us to function according to the word of God. We, we fall under the authority of Jesus Christ. We fall under the authority of his word. We submit to it, not part of it, all of it. We are members of the local church. We are members of the body of Jesus Christ. Number two, Jesus Christ is the head of the church first and final authority of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the first and final authority of the church. So it's like the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. You know, the answer is Jesus, Jesus Christ. There's nothing beyond it. And the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're to be in Christ and Christ is to be in us. It's why when we receive Jesus Christ, it's not for us to know about Christ, but it's for Christ to be in us and through us. It's for us to be interdependent upon each other in Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul, in writing here, he says Jesus Christ is the head of the church, first and final authority of the church. Why is he the first and final authority of the church? That's what the next two verses, two and a half verses are. And here, are, here they are, five reasons why Christ is the head of the church, why we submit and yield to Jesus Christ, and why you, this morning, if you're a part of this local church, you should submit to the first and final authority of the church, Jesus Christ, if you haven't. The first one is this. Number one, he was the first human to live for God in creation. What does that mean? It means that Christ lived perfectly on this earth during his 33 years on this planet as a human, 100% God, 100% man. Adam didn't do it. Eve didn't do it. None of us have done it. There's one person that was the first to live for God in creation. That expression, firstborn of all creation, or he is the beginning. What he's saying is, is he is the new way of the way we're to live. Why do we have hardship? Why is suicide? Do you know that suicide is up 25% in the last 10 years? 
under, I mean, two weeks, listen, this week alone, we saw two people kill themselves that, that are pretty prominent. Kate Spade, that purse gal, and that, um, the guy that was the, uh, yeah, the, the news reporter from CNN. Why? Why? Because if this is all there is in this life, then guess what? It's not going to bring us happiness. If this is all there is, this is not going to bring us joy. If this life is it, then when hardships come or difficulty comes, then we look and say, I can't get past this. And what happens? Well, I guess this is it. I'd rather, I would rather choose my own death than continue to live. Why? Because guess what? They look and they recognize that sin is destructive, that sin is damaging, and everything that they've been sold is a bill of lies. This does not bring satisfaction. This does not bring peace. This life is hard. It's difficult. And if you're here today and you're hurting or you're thinking, man, I thought everything was supposed to be great when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, you know, it's, it's not. No, Christ in us just helps us get through it. It gives us purpose for what's going on in this life. It's not, oh, wow, it's so wonderful. Everything's daisies and roses. No, the reality is Christ is the one who walks with me through, even though I walk. David understood this in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He wasn't saying there is no more shadow of death when I give my life to God because the Lord's my shepherd. No, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. No, the idea is when we give our life to Jesus Christ and we are in Christ and Christ is over us, the church, and we come together, what it means is that we are less alone. That we don't have to go through it alone. I was, um, so I was in Jordan and then after Jordan we went to uh, Bangkok. And we were meet, I met with a group of missionaries and some pastors. And one of the gals, there's a gal that's actually coming here. Her name's Maui. And she's going to be here with us um, for a couple of years, kind of like a training type thing. She's a worship leader, and she's going to do some stuff in missions. Extremely talented and really, really loves the Lord. Her sister's terminal and is dying right now. And one of the things that her and her sisters are doing um, that are healthy are they're every day going to visit her. Now, she's angry and bitter and because she's dying. And every day her sisters come in and smile and pray with her. And as angry as she is, they continue to come in. And, and she continues to rebuff them and she continues to reject them and she continues to do this as she's dying. I mean, she's wasting away. And I, when we were there, I asked her, I said, why do you continue to do that? And this is what her comment was. Her comment was, everybody needs to feel less alone during their most difficult times. And I thought, that's it, that's the church. When you come and be a part of Coastal, our goal, why do we want you guys to get in small groups? Because we want you to be less alone. That as you're going through life, that you can be transparent of what's going on in your life and you can feel less alone, you can feel connected. 
so that you don't have to go through this life alone, so that if you're having a hardship, it's not, oh my goodness. No, as you go through it, that we can look and we could say, listen, let us put our arms around you and love you. So if you could say, hey, listen, I'm really struggling in my marriage. This is what's going on. That the, 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 the small group could come around and lay hands on you and pray for you and encourage you and send you to some marriage conference or, or to do something to help you so that you could feel less alone. This morning you might be here and you might be saying, I feel so alone. Well, Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross lived a perfect life so that you could feel less alone, so that Christ could be in you, you could be in Christ, and you could be a part of the body of Christ. That is what the Apostle Paul's talking about here in Colossians 1. Jesus Christ was the first to live for God in creation. John chapter 6, verse 38 says this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, he was the first human to live for God in creation to help us feel less alone. Turn it around. If you're, if you're taking notes on the back, it says this is a moral universe. And a man, is fully, a man to, live, to fully live in it must be morally sound. I'm, 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 this is logic now. An immoral man can have no permanent standing in a moral universe. Morality is about order and consistency of what is right and what is wrong. The sun shining is right. The tide of the ocean is right. Gravity to hold us in place is right. And air to breathe is right. There's no such thing as what's morally right for me is morally wrong for somebody else. Right for us, constant and consistent in creation, give way to alignment with nature not fighting against it. When we submit ourselves to God in Christ, we are aligning ourselves with the moral compass that God has placed in this universe. Now, sin is perpetually making things worse, but Christ has made all things new. Christ lived in the moral universe as a moral man, the firstborn in all creation. Not Adam was the firstborn, but under the headship of Adam, we, we, we reap sin and death. But under the headship of Christ, the firstborn, we reap eternal life. So what's the second thing? What's the second thing? Second thing is the first to bodily rise from the dead. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. He was the first to rise from the dead, bodily rise from the dead. What, is this, what does this mean? It means this, that he leads the way from death. He's the sample body of our future hope. Let me give you a great story. My wife and I, years ago, we were trying to find this place in this warehouse, and we had never been there. And there was a couple that had been there, and basically we were like, no, nah, here's me and my not asking for directions, not asking for help. We're like, no, 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 we'll find it, we'll find it. And there was a husband and wife that had been there. They go, it's really, really hard to find. Do you want us to ride with you because we've been there? Nah, we got it. My wife and I are driving around lost. My wife going, we should have had them drive with us. We should have had them ride with us. That idea, that concept of us driving around. Why? Because I had never been there. I didn't know what I was looking for. 
I could not get there. No matter how hard I tried, I had never been there and I hadn't seen it. Nothing looked familiar. It wasn't until they got on the phone and then they walked out to the street and waved us for us to be able to find it. This was before a really, really good GPS. The the GPS that told you to drive into the lake, yeah, that was the GPS that we had. But that's the idea, though. Why? Because they had been there before, it was easy for them to get us there. And the other couple that was with us, they easily made it to to the place. They didn't have any problem getting there. Why? Because they had somebody in the car that had gotten, that had been there before and was taking them there. Jesus Christ died completely. But he rose from the dead proving and demonstrating that he could conquer death. He is the way to eternal life. He is living, walking, breathing, living eternal life in the resurrected body. And he stands before his disciples and says, I'm eternal life. Why? Because he had been there before. He had been to death, he had conquered death, and he had come back from death. That's why Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He had been there, came back, said, I'm the way. And now we follow him because he takes us. We would get lost. We could not find our way. We need Christ to be in Christ, Christ in us. That's walking, talking, breathing eternal life so that we can follow him to eternal life. That's what the apostle Paul is saying here. He's the first to bodily rise from the dead. Therefore, he has authority over the church. He has authority over us. He has authority demonstrating that he had risen from the dead. Number three, why, why else? What's the third reason? He's the first to have the fullness of God dwell in Christ. He's the first to have the fullness of God dwell in Christ. I love this passage of scripture here. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Christ in us, Christ, God and Christ being one. This is a Trinitarian passage of the Father and Christ being one. Let me explain the Trinity to you. (laughs) I really can't. Now, let me explain the Trinity to you. This is the best I can do. One times one times one equals one. It's the best I can do. 100% God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. But he was the first to have the fullness of God dwell in him. First to have the fullness of God dwell in Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, because he was the first and Christ is in us, look at this passage, that we too can know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we too can be filled with all the fullness of God. Because Christ, because the God the Father dwelled in Christ, therefore Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can now dwell in us if we are in Christ which means, goes back to the idea that we are not alone because Christ is supreme. Because of the supremacy of Christ, therefore, he invites us to be a part of this for the fullness of God to dwell in Christ. Number next, last one, number five, letter D, 
first one who reconciled everything to God. It's actually number four. First one who reconciled everything to God. Look what it says. It pleased to live in him, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He was the first one to reconcile everything to God. Adam couldn't do it. We can't do it ourselves, only God. What does reconcile mean? It's from two Greek words. I'm not going to, if those of you that are interested, it's right there. But it's from two Greek words that come together, meaning finishing and completion and the exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. So thus, the, the word reconcile means to complete restoration of a relationship from hostility to friendship. It's what God did through Jesus Christ. Complete restoration to a relationship from hostility to friendship. Letter E, the last one, number five, that he was the first to make peace with everything in heaven and on earth through Jesus Christ's blood on the cross. The peace that you're looking for in this life, the peace that you're looking for in this life doesn't come from yourself, doesn't come from positive thinking, It doesn't come from you being happy all the time. Peace with Christ comes from the first one who made peace through his blood, Jesus Christ. Through his blood, the person, Jesus Christ. It was through Christ's blood on the cross that he brought reconciliation. It was through the blood of Jesus Christ that he brought wholeness. Jesus Christ, through his own blood, reconciled us to God, bringing us peace. If you are living in this world without peace, ask yourself this question. If you're living in this life alone without peace, ask yourself if you are in a right relationship with the God of peace, Jesus Christ. Only Christ, only through Christ can we have peace and friendship with God because he brings reconciliation. What was interesting was when we were um, when we were in Jordan. It's great to see Mary Jo that you're back from the dead, being sick, and uh, Brian and you know Dwayne. We, Wayne, we all went to we all went to Jordan together. And what was great was through the process of being together in that short amount of time, that ten days on a mission trip. What it did was it forced us. It forced us to, to get along. It forced us that when we had an argument or a frustration to be able to work it out. It also, encour- it also forced us to encourage each other to be more like Jesus Christ. When you're with a group of people for 10 days on a mission trip, you have to get along. You're seeing these people every day. You're working together. You're serving together. You're doing these things. And so if there was a hardship, if there was a problem or something, the goal was we wanted to bring, whether if there was a fight, we wanted to bring reconciliation. And the goal was that they would do that. And why could we have peace? Why could we have reconciliation on the trip? Because Christ lived in us. And because Christ was in us and they had Christ, then therefore we could agree upon Jesus Christ. When you're two Christian brothers or sisters in Christ and you can't get along and you can't figure it out, 
Sometimes my wife and I in an argument where we can't agree or we can't come to an agreement, we go back to Christ. She's got Christ, I've got Christ, we can agree upon that. That becomes the foundation of our reconciliation. That becomes the foundation. Because Christ has reconciled me, because Christ has reconciled her, we can come together and there can be peace because of Christ and the fact that we have received the shed blood of Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. That's what the Apostle Paul's saying to this church. He's saying the foundation of our church is Jesus Christ and his supremacy. The foundation of what we're doing here in Gloucester is Christ, his work on the cross and his bodily resurrection. And therefore we submit ourselves to him because of it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, I thank you for these people. I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that has never received Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that they would open their hearts to you and they would invite Christ into their life. For those Christians that are here, Lord God, that feel alone, I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you would, Father, encourage them and be near to them and make your presence known to them, Father, today so that they would know the love of Jesus Christ in their life. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. And we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.